The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. A reading from the prophet Amos chapter 4. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast into Harmon, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there was yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword. I carried away your horses. I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains And creates the winds and declares to man what is his thought. Who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. God, we thank you for your word. Are you ready? Are you ready? Driving along Interstate 41, I see this billboard asking me that question. Are you ready? And below the question is a website that says ready.gov. And there I find a list of precautionary steps I can be taking when something unexpected comes my way. Are you ready? 
Just a show of hands, how many of us have been to ready.gov? <laughs> how many of you have taken heed to these principles of natural disaster coming or enemy coming and invading our country? I see no hands. Some of us were scouts growing up and had ingrained in us. I don't know if it's the same slogan for Girl Scouts as it is for Boy Scouts. What's the slogan Boy Scouts that we learned? Two words. Be prepared. Remember that? I guess not. We were prepared as scouts and trained and how to make sure if we were ever in a pinch, we knew how to tie a rolling hitch knot. I don't know how to tie a rolling hitch knot anymore. I'm not ready. Moms, most of your purses are readiness kits. They really are. They're filled with thousands upon thousands of odds and ends. I don't know how you pack it all in that little purse to anticipate any what if situation. I probably could call out something right now. And a mom would say, I got that right here. Moms are ready. But no mom's purse. No Boy Scout training. No government funded website can prepare you for this question. Are you ready to meet your God? Are you ready to meet your maker? We've been working our way through the writings of the prophet Amos, this no-name shepherd from a small village who's been tasked by God to confront the influencers, to confront the cream of the crop leaders of God's chosen people, Israel, to confront the political leaders, the military leaders, the government leaders, the religious leaders with this question, are you ready to meet your maker and he does it in the sound of a lion's roar, beginning with roars against Israel's enemies and saving the loudest roar for Israel themselves. Two weeks ago, we heard the Lord's roar against Israel as they oppressed the weak, the poor, the powerless. Last week, we heard the roar against Israel's abuse of the privileges they've been blessed with by God and the God's response to take away those privileges. And today, we hear the roar even louder as the question is posed to the people of God. Are you ready to meet your maker? What are we, church, doing with these roars as we've been sitting under this difficult word? Do we just chalk up Amos to another time, another place, another people? Or do we hear these words as having relevance to our own time, 2021, our own people, the church of Jesus Christ, and our own place, Green Bay, Wisconsin, USA? The question posed for Israel is for us as well, church. Are you ready to meet your God? We need to be ready. Amos is our ready.gov because he's coming at an hour when we might least expect it. As our Christian creeds declare, he's coming to judge the living and the dead. 
How do we prepare for this? Or rather, how does God prepare us for this? How does the Lord use this passage in Amos in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to ready us, to prepare us, to meet our maker? Three ways Amos in the gospel of Jesus prepares us to meet our maker. First, we must become collaborators, not consumers of God's blessing. Second, we must be made righteous, not merely religious. Finally, we must be willing to be disciplined and not self-deluded. First, we must become collaborators, not consumers of God's blessing. Look with me at verses 1 to 3. First verse of this passage should startle us. Someone actually came up to me before the service. You cows of Bashan! Who is the Lord speaking to here? Calling them cows? Many feminist writers see this passage as a disrespectful and patriarchal knock on women. I disagree. We impose our cultural cues onto this passage, but to the original audience who knew the people, places, and culture of things, it translates much differently. You cows of Bashan. Bashan is a rich, lush land where wheat would grow in plenty and cows and bulls in Bashan were symbols of blessing and prosperity and strength because they were large and well-fed animals. They are blessed creatures, cows. And where are these cows? Where are they sitting? On the mountain of Samaria. They're sitting perched high on their stoops, blessed and full, looking down at the rest of the world at ease themselves. Most believe that these are the wives of the oppressive and powerful leaders of Israel. The real housewives of Samaria is who they are. You ever watch that show? It'll give you a picture of who the Lord's talking to. Wealthy, entitled, demanding women, demanding the help, the oppressed, the needy. Do this, do that. Get me this, get me that. Oppressing the poor by making sure her bullish husband makes a profit off of his minimum wage workers. Crushing the needy by hoarding all of the food, all of the wine, all of the supply for themselves up on their mountain. And even humiliating the help's husband by screaming, pour me another gin and tonic. These cows of Bashan are consumers of God's blessings. Eat, 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 take, 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 mine, 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 mine. And the Lord God in his holiness who has blessed his people with these crops, with this abundance, with this undeserved blessing is bringing judgment upon the consumer because these cows, these consumers have become entitled like they deserve this, believing they were entitled to receive blessing. That's who he's talking to. I have a question for us. Is this 
Could this be the American church goer? A consumer? Yeah. Just think about it in just how we practice worship. We pick and choose our worship style. Are you going to be at the 930 service? That's our contemporary service. You're going to be at the 1030 service? That's our traditional service. You're going to be at the 1130? That's our blended service. You're going to be at the 1230? That's our jazz service. You're going to be at the 130? That's our quiet meditative service. It goes on and on. Consumerism. Catering. What do you want? We'll give it to you. We like our pastor because he makes me feel really warm and fuzzy inside. Or we like our pastor because she makes me laugh. She makes me laugh a lot. Or we like our pastor because, you know, he seems like a really good CEO who can kind of take charge of things here. And when we don't get what we want, consumers, we become demanding. Bring now. Bring now. I need a drink. I need something different here. Bring me something else. The judge of the living and the dead came down from heaven, not to consume, but to co-labor, to collaborate with his father. That's what Jesus came to do, to serve the poor who were under the cow's hoof, to save the needy who were being crushed by the herd of elephants, to say to the husband of the struggling help, here's a cup of cold water for you. That's what Jesus came to do, to collaborate with the father. We must ready ourselves for the maker by serving and collaborating with us as he served us and collaborated with his father. Consumers, hoarders of God's blessing, friends, will be consumed by God's holy fires of judgment. See that in verses two and three. What happens to the cows? They're led away with hooks. They are like cows led to the slaughter. At JBS, that's what happens to them. Pulled out of the city by meat hooks. Pulled out of their wine stupor by fish hooks. Cast out of their secure mansion walls up top on Samaria into Harmon, which is a place of complete obscurity. Nobody knows even where it is. So what does readiness then look like for us if we want to collaborate with the Lord instead of be a consumer of the Lord's blessings. Well, one picture of it, if any of you have seen or read Les Miserables, it's in the Bishop of Ging. This bishop has been blessed with the gifts of God. And he allows Jean Valjean, a known convict, to stay with him for the night because this guy has nowhere to go. And then what does Valjean do in the middle of the night? He pockets all of the bishop's silverware in his bag and takes off. He consumes the silverware and goes. Valjean is then caught by the police. He's brought back to the bishop. And asked, they ask the bishop, hey, what do you want us to do with this guy? You want us to press charges? You want us to put him back in prison? And instead of taking an entitled up-on-the-mountain position with Valjean, what does he do? He remembers the mercy and blessing he's received from Christ. And he looks Valjean in the eye 
And he says to him, my dear man, have you forgotten? I gave you these candlesticks too. You forgot to take these with you. He serves the poor and needy. He collaborates with the Lord in extending blessing. Who are the poor and the needy around you, friends? Who's struggling to make ends meet? They could use an anonymous gift card. Who's being persecuted or oppressed by a bully or a boss and could use your defending of them? Where maybe are you sitting so perched high in your I'm so busy schedule that you need to get lower and less involved in your own world up there and more involved in the world of the needy and the pressed down here? Hear this word to ready yourself for the maker's coming. Consumers in the church, friends, will be consumed. Co-laborers, collaborators of Christ will be crowned. Secondly, as we prepare to meet our maker, we must be made righteous and not merely religious. Look at verses four and five. The Lord, after confronting the cows with their consequences, he quickly jumps to their worship practices because he knows what they do when confronted with their sin. What do they do? They pretend to be saints. They head to their two worship locations, Bethel and Gilgal, two satellite locations. Bethel is the main location. Gilgal is kind of like the satellite church. Okay? To make themselves ready before God. Look at me. Look at me, they say. I sacrifice animals every morning, even though God only commands that I do that three times a year. I do it every day. I give money to the church every three days, even though the Lord only commands it every three months. Look at me. I give my bread. I even give above and beyond to the church's mercy ministries. See what I'm doing, people around me. See what I'm doing, Lord. They love their religiosity. They love to be seen and known. But what does the Lord say about all of this external religion? What is it doing for them? It's actually what verse 4 says, multiplying their sin. It's making them worse, not better. How do we church, how do we make our religiosity known? How do we do that? Evangelism, for instance, becomes about our success in winning people over. I led them to the Lord. <laughs> giving to a charity, giving to a missionary makes us feel better about ourselves. Prayer can even become a posture of showing others how holy we are by using complicated language or long prayers. Jesus says this, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you pray, do it in secret. When you're invited to a feast, take the last seat. We must ready ourselves for the maker, by instead of bringing our show and tell to the Lord or to others, we need to bring the only thing to the table of righteousness that we can offer. Nothing. Our sin. 
As we ready ourselves for our maker, let's put all of our unrighteousness on the table. Here, make, here, here's what you need to know, Lord. Here's what you need to know, other people. How unentitled I am to receive his blessings. I was a recipient of the candlesticks. It's all I got. Nothing. Standing amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wondering how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. Coming to Sunday worship, not to bask in how much you put in the basket. Coming into Lord's Day worship, to bask and sing with all of our broken lives and hearts, how much he put into our basket. Church, you know when you're boasting about your religiosity. You do. Because what you'll feel is this quiet, subtle smell of putrid pride inside of you. Church, you know you're boasting about Christ's love and forgiveness, though, when you feel a swell of gratitude pour over you. Make confession of sin as regular as making coffee. Ask God's Spirit to make your sin more and more obvious to you. Not so you can go and do penance by throwing some cash in the basket, but so that There will be no surprises to you when you stand before him. Practice that standing as you sing now, just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. And when he comes again, we will not be surprised when he lays out our sin before us. We will only be pleading his righteousness. Lastly, how do we prepare ourselves to meet our maker? We must be willing to be disciplined and not be duped. Walk with me through verses 6 to 11 in this passage. See the Lord's hand of discipline confronting the people of God. What is discipline supposed to do from God? It's supposed to draw runaways back to him. It's not punishment like, I'll never see you again. I never want to have anything to do with you. No, it's supposed to actually return us to him. I remember when I was about five years old, still remember it, about a mile away from here, I was mad at my folks and I declared, I'm running away. I packed my suitcase, this huge suitcase, and I headed out the door. I don't think there was anything in the suitcase, just this big suitcase. It was a symbol of my running away. And I headed out the door. It was winter. It was nighttime. I still remember it. Because my folks, in their discipline of me, let me leave. A five-year-old. Walk out the door. And as I'm walking, I remember experiencing the harshness of the environment outside of my parents' protection. I remember the streetlight. I can point to you where the streetlight was. And I was just shivering about two houses down from my parents' house, thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I just quickly ran back home where it was warm, where it was safe, and where my parents' arms were like, welcome back. Glad you're back, son. God's loving discipline to us is akin to my parents' posture. They watched me from the window. He's removing what Israel had from him. So that they could see how good they had it with him. First tactic, he deprives his children of something. 
like going to bed without supper. What does he do? He removes their food. Cleanness of teeth means not a post-dentist visit, but rather they had nothing to chew on. It was a famine. And then what does he do? He holds back. He deprives them of rainwater. There's no water either. The children underneath the streetlight, what was their response? They didn't return. They were duped into believing, ah, it's just coincidental. must just be bad luck or because our fictional god of weather is mad at us, so we need to sacrifice to him or her. Hmm. They kept walking. First streetlight, keep going. Second tactic the Lord uses in his discipline is he inflicts something on them. Blight, which is like a wind that shrivels up the leaves. Mildew, mold that rots the leaves and leads to diseased crops. He inflicts on them locusts that eat away at the fruit trees and the gardens. And then he inflicts upon them pandemic and plague. And the children's response under this second light is what? Hmm. They did not return to him. Duped again into believing. You know what? It's just a bad agricultural year or that plague. It just came from a lab in China. You see in them a hardness of heart similar to that of Pharaoh in Egypt. This can't be about God's discipline. Keep walking. Must be the result of something else. And then he sends opposition. The the third light. Opposition. Militaries conquering them and slaughtering their military to the point that the smell of rotting corpses makes its way to their noses. Oh, we've been defeated. Surely this will lead them back to me. Their response? No, they did not return to him. Make more weapons, train more soldiers, plug your nose. Finally, the Lord sends destruction of fire. Some scholars believe this was fire was caused by a massive earthquake onto some of their cities. And their response, they did not return to the Lord. They played the victim. I'm righteous. I'm right. I'm the good guy. This can't be the result of my sin. And instead of the prodigal son coming to his senses beneath the street light of his sin, Israel refuses to listen to the Lord's plea to come back. Friends, where might the Lord be shining a light over your stubbornness, over your selfishness, over your stinginess, your self-righteousness, and you are being duped, convinced that the problem, the discipline you're receiving is someone or something else? Is there something the Lord right now keeps holding back from giving you? Could it be his desire to return you back to him? Maybe things you previously enjoyed are not giving you the same pleasure. Maybe what used to feed your ego is not satisfying you anymore. Could that be the Lord's gracious hand calling you back to return to him? Preparing to meet your maker involves receiving discipline from God as a plea of wanting you to run to Christ as your safe refuge. He's waiting for you to come back. He disciplines those he loves to come home to him, to exhaust you in your running after anything that dupes you into thinking it's going to satisfy you. It won't come home, come home, come home. Maybe your spouse's irksome personality is God's discipline. Maybe the hard job you're in is God's discipline. Maybe the hard-nosed boss or the hard-to-love child is God's discipline to spotlight your sin so you'll run home to him. 
Maybe the depression isn't just chemical. Maybe it has a spiritual spotlight to it, to what lies that you're believing about God are in there. Maybe the decline of the church in the United States is not because God has left the building, but because the church needs a fleeing from self-serving consumerism and running to the sinner-serving gospel of Jesus. Maybe that's what the church needs. Preparing to meet your maker means returning to him now while he still may be found rather than later when the falseness of your faith may be found out. Verse 13 reminds us that the Lord God made everything that is. He will declare then everything that you are and he will tread down any high place of the earth that attempts to take his place. Are you ready to meet your maker? Ready yourself by joining in Christ's labor of loving as you've been loved. Ready yourself by repenting of the show of religion and resting in his righteousness. Ready yourself by accepting the discipline of God and returning to his safe protection. The book of Hebrews says it is a fearful thing. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let us not be of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But instead, let us be ready as those who have faith in Christ. Faith in his love for his children, that he preserved the needy, that he protected the sinner, and that he prepared his children's soul for the end. Do you know this Christ? Because if you don't be ready, he will say, I never knew you. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Thank you for your word. May it make us ready to see you. And when we see you, see that there is a God that we know. There is a God that we know. That when you say, I know you, and we say, I know you, it's because you've readied us to know you. Father, if there's those of us here who are not ready, who don't know you, Father, we pray that you would show them your labor of love, the cross. Father, that you would continue to discipline and lead them back to you through hard circumstances even. And Father, that they would be able to stand in your righteousness, not in a religious righteousness. Make that so, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.